Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. Well, this morning, we are continuing the sermon series that we've been in for a few weeks now called Letters to Friends. This is a a series walking through the book of 1 Thessalonians, which is really not a book. It's actually a a letter written from Paul to really his friends in Thessalonica, a city uh, where he helped establish a church. And it's a letter filled with his tenderness as well as his concern because this is a relatively young church. They were new to the faith, new believers, and they were under incredible amounts of persecution and pressure. And so throughout the letter, Paul is trying to encourage them and embolden them to hold fast to the faith and to continue to grow in their love. And so he is writing this letter out of his deep concern and care for them that they would remain faithful and they'd grow. Along the way in this journey, we've, at least I've been encouraged to write letters to friends of mine. I hope you've heard that invitation because we too can become encouragers to others in our lives and a letter might just be exactly the way that you can express your care, your tenderness, your concern, and maybe even fan, fan the, the, the flame of faith that might be wavering or might be going strong, but you can fan that flame a little bit by being an encourager to other people in your life as well. And so maybe this is the time where you could write a letter to a friend. Recently, I I walked into a bathroom in our house, and I'll confess that I was not really paying much attention. The lights were out, and I wasn't paying attention because I was actually holding a laptop, and I was still looking at what was on the screen, and out of the corner of my eye, I saw this glow on this figure, and I whipped around, and of course, it, it was the mirror, and the glow was me, but I was terrified. I had been startled. My heart was racing, and I even jumped back physically, and of course, I ended up laughing at myself because there I am, startled and terrified of me, but I guess that is a reality of what can happen whenever we look into a mirror, isn't it? Whenever we look in a mirror with the lights on or off, we can become startled and concerned by what we see. You know, that, that sometimes this can lead us, unfortunately, to a place of vanity or even obsession and concern and, and just this fixation on our appearance and on us. And, but assuming we're not living in that place of an unhealthy obsession, mirrors can actually be incredibly helpful, can't they? Mirrors can be helpful to affirm that what things that you expected are the way they should be, that the, the lipstick you intended to put on your lips is not all over your entire face. And that toothpaste from brushing your teeth is not dripping and dribbling down your chin. And it's nice to know that you can look in a mirror and say, okay, yeah, it's the way it's supposed to be. It can also be really helpful when it's not the way it's supposed to be because you need to make some changes because if the toothpaste is dribbling down your face, I'm just going to encourage you, go ahead and clean that off. That would be helpful. But it also, you know, you can figure out, you know, where's your hair that's out of place that you thought where, where it needed to be, you know, and so you need to change that. And, and in some honest moments of reflection, even looking in the mirror can help us realize maybe I do need to make some lifestyle changes, some bigger picture, not because of an unhealthy obsession, but because what we see, what's being reflected to us is something that we need to respond to and change. 
So this morning, I share with you all of that because we're gonna be using the passage of scripture that we're moving into this morning as a mirror to hold it up, to get a, a look at ourselves, at the state of our heart, of our soul, of our lives. And so we're gonna jump into 1 Thessalonians chapter three. We're gonna overlap a little bit with what we read last week. Uh, so we're gonna start in chapter three, verse six, and encourage you to, to follow along as we read and hear from God's word this morning. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we, are, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. And let's pray as we move further into God's word together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather to worship you, and we can really be gathered in spirit, even though our bodies are apart. Thank you that as we do gather in your name that you promise to be with us. And so will you, Lord, open the, the ears, open the eyes of our heart and our soul. May we be able to hear what you're saying to us. May we be able to see clearly in the mirror that you're holding up to our lives so that we can be affirmed and encouraged and so that we can make the changes and adjustments that would lead us into the lives that you intend for us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So you can hear in this letter that Paul has been encouraged, encouraged by a report from Timothy. Timothy, Paul had actually had to move on from Thessalonica. He was run out of town, so he actually was probably in Corinth writing this letter. And so he was concerned, though, for these, his friends in Thessalonica. So he had sent Timothy to them to go check on them and see how they were doing. And Timothy had just returned and given a report, and this is part of what had caused Paul to want to write this letter back. And as he, as he reflects on Timothy's encouraging report that they're standing firm in the face of persecution, he, his mind naturally and his heart naturally turns to reflections on prayer and actually even to prayer itself. We, we see in this passage a prayer from Paul. And, and so we're going to use this passage as a prayer mirror to be able to hold it up and consider our prayer lives, to consider what that shows about us, what it shows about our priorities, and ask, does it align with the priorities and values that God has for us? And see, we can, we can learn a lot when we actually look at and hold a, a mirror up to any part of our lives. You know, if you think about it, we can, we can hold up a, a mirror to our finances. You could probably look through your credit card statements and your bank statements, and it could probably give you a pretty clear picture of what do you seem to value the most? What is most important? What are your priorities in life based upon your spending? Could do the same thing with your time. When you look at your calendar, where do you seem to spend it? Why are you running around all over the place? What what's, seems to be the most important thing to you? 
And I think we can do the same with our prayer life because in our prayer life, it starts to reveal things be beyond what we are consciously focused on. It starts to reveal what we truly hold dear because it so often happens in private. It's so often, actually, the statistics are overwhelmingly that most of us don't pray with another person at all. We pray only alone with ourselves and God. And so in those moments of quiet, we, we can safely pour out what's truly in our heart and our soul. And so this morning, we're gonna allow this passage to be a, a mirror to think through our prayer life and think about what it reveals about us. And think about it in a light of what it reveals about Paul and about the priorities that God would have for our lives. And so what we're gonna start with is looking at prayer as a posture of the heart and a particularly even a way of living. In verse 10, Paul had said this. He said that night and day we pray most earnestly. Night and day he's praying. Well, we might kind of pause and go, really? Night and day, all the time, like you never sleep? And of course, that's ridiculous. Of course, he sleeps. He also said night and day, though, in, in chapter 2, verse 9, he said, I've worked night and day so that I've not been a burden to you. So he's worked night and day, he's prayed night and day. Which is it, Paul? What is it? Well, actually, the answer is yes. The answer is both. And actually, what this reveals to us is, the, is about prayer as a way of life, that it's happening all the time. That it's not just about a single set time of day, though for Paul he probably did have set times of the day that he would have had these deep, incredible habits of at least three times a day. Maybe it was five times a day even, but probably those three times a day where he was for sure praying because he had set these times aside. But in this we're seeing that prayer is more than just this set routine and activities and it's more than that for us. And you may have a wonderful habit of praying every morning. I know so many folks I've talked to, it's, it's every morning I have this time set aside, and that's a beautiful and good habit, but prayer is so much more. And, and maybe you have that time set aside at the end of the day, and you're, you allow that to be a time of reflection and thanking God and praying uh, about what he might do tomorrow, and, and that's a good thing as well for me. You know, I, I try to pray in the evening, but I can't tell you how many times I've fallen asleep praying at night. Maybe it's just that connection with God, and he gives the gift of peace, and then sleep comes. I'm not sure. But prayer is so much more than these times set aside as if it's just another calendared activity in our life, as if it's just another task. What we're finding in this is that prayer is a way of life for Paul. It's a way of living. Because if he's working night and day and he's praying night and day, well, that means he must be praying while he's working. Prayer is part of every moment of every day, not just set times. And so he's praying while he's in the marketplace. He's praying while he's walking around. He's praying when he's working. He's praying when he's talking to people. He's praying when he's in their homes, teaching them. He's praying now in Corinth, wherever he might be. It's just, it's happening where life is happening. And is that where prayer is happening for you? Because prayer is this incredible gift where we live out our faith, where we live out our connection with God. And what this tells us is our faith is so much more than just those set times and places for prayer. It's more than our set times to gather in worship. So it's not your faith and our faith is not just about being here, thankfully, because you're not here. 
right? This is a gift that God's given and saying, hey, it's about life. I've given you a relationship with me to be lived out by faith day in and day out, not just in this building, not just when we gather in worship, but on Tuesday when you go to work, on Wednesday when you go to school, when you're shopping, wherever you are, you can be praying and you can be connecting by faith with God. Prayer is a way of life because it's a way to a relationship connected with God all the time. And so, Paul's praying day and night. And also, he's praying day and night, meaning I mean, this does not mean that he's bombarding God's with, God with words. I've had, had people ask me over time, you know, yeah, I hear in the scripture this invitation, pray without ceasing, and, and I just don't, I don't understand how I could possibly do that because I can't think of enough words to say, and I can't think of enough thoughts, and I can't think of enough things to express to God. And what it, what it shows is that for us, often, we think of prayer as kind of a one-way channel where we just kind of gear up all of our stuff, all our thoughts, all our concerns, and we just kind of and we just shoot them all at God. And that's not what this is about. Because there's no way we could possibly do that. There's no way we could possibly just constantly bombard God with words. And man, wouldn't that be awful? I mean, you probably have at least one person in your life that as soon as a conversation starts and as soon as they open their mouth, it's kind of like the flood of words begins and it doesn't really stop. You can't get a word in edgewise. I mean, that, that's not what prayer is about. God's not just saying, come on, all right, just keep it coming. It's intended to be this conversation. See, it's a posture of our heart more than it is a task or activity. It's not just dialing up our list, dumping it into God's lap. It's saying, okay, God, I'm living in such a way where I am open to your presence in my life, working, worshiping, you know, at school, shopping, wherever it is, I'm open to you. And, and I'm open to have a connection with you. And I'm open for a relationship with you. And I'm open to hear from you because prayer can be a beautiful two-way conversation. And if all you're doing is talking at God and if all I'm doing is talking at God, then there is no space in the conversation for him to get a word in edgewise. And he's polite. He usually doesn't interrupt us. Sometimes he does and that's gracious of him. But to pray day and night is not to have a constant flow of words. It's to be in a posture of open relationship, open connection. It's to say at any moment, God, I, I can talk to you. Any moment, you can talk to me. So I can share the concern, the hope, the longing. If I've got a joke to tell, I can tell you. You can tell me. Whatever it is, it's this open relationship. And prayer is the means by which we can connect with God. But it also shows this, it's this openness, but it's also a posture of dependence. Prayer reminds us of our posture of dependence on God. Paul said in, in verse 9, he said, how can we thank God enough for our joy because of you? How can we thank God enough? So he's reflecting on this incredible report that they've been standing firm in the faith, everything's good, and he's saying, how can we thank God enough for what you've done? He could have just said, man, you guys are awesome, no, he's recognizing that their faithfulness to stand firm was dependent on God. And so he's saying, how can I give thanks to God enough who for you, because you're my source of joy when I stand before the Father. The whole picture is a recognition of dependence on God to work in their life, in Paul's ministry. All of it is a posture. Prayer is this reminder of the posture of dependence on God. It reminds us who's God and who's not. That fundamental need to remember that He's God. I'm not. Jesus invites his disciples and invites us. In John chapter 15, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. 
Abide in me and you'll bear much fruit. Anyone who does not abide in me will not bear any fruit. fruit. So if we expect in our lives good fruit to come from God, for him to be at work in us and through us, then prayer becomes the way we abide in him. It's the, it's the recognition of our dependence that I can't achieve anything of lasting good and beauty and value and richness apart from God working in me and through me. And so by prayer, by posture of my heart, I say, yes, I am dependent on you to do this good thing in me and to do this thing through me. So when we start thinking about our prayer life, holding up this mirror, and Paul says, I'm praying day and night, what's the mirror showing you? Is it showing you a, a a prayer life that's robust, that's throughout all of the activities of life, through the, an expression of your faith and relationship with God, whether you're at work or play or at school or shopping? Or is it really more about a, a list, a task, religion, a habit that you must complete and do? Is it revealing a, an openness to an ongoing connection with God that, that also reveals not just an openness to a relationship with him, but a dependent relationship with the God of the universe so open and dependent that he's going to work good things in you and through you. What's the mirror showing you? But he also, he says, night and day we pray most earnestly. Man, that phrase is awesome and awful because it's so challenging. Most earnestly. I mean, it's a little formal. We don't often use the word earnest in our day-to-day -day conversation, but we probably have a good sense of what it means, right? This earnestly. He's praying with a fervor, an intensity, a passion, a longing. He's pushing. He's hungering. He's not going to be deterred. He prays with that kind of ferocity. Do you pray for anything with that kind of ferocity? I mean, maybe the, the mirror that's being held up for us today is that actually I thought I had a pretty good posture of dependence on God, but when I really think about it, I don't pray with the kind of earnestness that would show real dependence. When I look at my life and I, I start looking at it, maybe what it actually shows is that I'm really more dependent on me and my abilities and my skills and the gifts that God's given me to solve my problems, to overcome these challenges, to push through these barriers. You know, yeah, I can say thank you to God for the gifts, but when it comes to actually using them and seeing something good happen in my life, I'm really more depending on my ability to use these gifts. You know, I, so often when we have kids, parents bring children forward for baptism. I mean, I love baptism. And one of the beautiful traditions that we have is that parents actually choose a passage of scripture to, to share for their child. And they choose this scripture, maybe it's a prayer that they have or a blessing over their child or a promise that God has for them that they really are holding on to for the sake of their child. And so often the passage that's picked is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which is totally appropriate. Because in this, in this proverb, it says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. I mean, what an awesome proverb. What an amazing thing to try to hold for our kids to say, hey, don't lean on your understanding. It's not about your wisdom. It's not about your ability to get it. Trust God completely. Be dependent on him fully and allow him to unfold the path before you because that's going to be the best path for your life. But man, when we look at our prayer life, when the mirror is held up, what does it show about our dependence? And this is particularly challenging if you're good at fixing problems. 
if you're good at solving problems, if you're good at, at figuring out how to, how to navigate life, this is even more challenging for you than it is if you were totally inept. If your life was a mess, it would be easier to lean not on your own understanding because you know you have none. But the problem is, so many are so good. You've learned to solve your own problems. And the world has told you, if you don't, nobody's gonna do it for you, and yet God is inviting us to a different kind of posture to say, he's gonna work in you and through you. He, lean on him, on his wisdom, his power, his strength. And the amazing thing is, even as Paul is saying, in this posture of dependence, yes, I'm gonna trust you, I'm gonna lean on you, he then goes on in the prayer to say, and we're gonna work really hard at it. So it's not to say, let's not, it doesn't mean we just sit in a room and we pray that God's gonna fix all the problems. It's just a matter of, of who are we really depending on. Is it me or is it God? You know, and, and this, also this, this question of earnestness in our prayer moves us beyond dependence to the relationship because this earnestness day and night, right, is, is this consistency, this constancy, this unrelenting. And, and when I was thinking about this, I started to think about relationships. You can, you can talk with someone occasionally and still have a relationship with them, can't you? As a matter of fact, as I've been thinking about letters to friends, some of the people that God has prompted and put in my, into my mind to, to reach out to with letters are people from my past. People that at one point, we had an incredible relationship. We had a depth and an intimacy. There was a mutual support. We shared life. We shared so many things and just realized over time and distance and lack of communication, the reality is the depth of that relationship has changed. We're no longer each other's mutual support day in and day out, and that's okay. Life, God brings people in and out of our lives in seasons. But I was also thinking that if that's my approach to God, if I only occasionally check in with him, if I'm only talking with him once in a while, then what can I really expect in terms of depth and intimacy with God? Probably not a whole lot. But we're invited to this earnestness of seeking and pursuing God in prayer. And so maybe the mirror is saying, I'm not seeking you earnestly at all. Or maybe when we start looking at what we actually pray for, maybe we do pray for some things earnestly, but do they line up with, with what God's values and priorities are? What are our priorities when we pray earnestly? The Barnard Research Group does a lot of research with on, on faith and religion and spirituality in America, and they've been doing it for quite a while, and a few years ago they did a, a major study on prayer and what Americans actually pray for and how they pray, and what they discovered is the top five things that, that Americans pray for are one with thanks and gratitude, and that's a beautiful thing. Paul's constantly praying, praying throughout this letter with thankfulness for what God has done. Americans also pray for the needs of, of family and community second. Guidance in crisis is super common praying for my health and my wellness and my peace and my comfort. Fourth, confession is fifth, and you know, the, the list keeps going, but I just share a few of these things just to start to prompt, what do you actually pray for? And what does that show about your priorities as you pray for yourself and you pray for others? It's because it's okay to pray for yourself. Paul prays for himself even in this passage, but I think what, what really pushes me is he doesn't pray for what I would expect him to pray for. See, in verse 7, Paul had said, it's in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. Paul had been run out of Thessalonica. He then went to Athens. He was run out of Athens. He's then in Corinth. All along the way, Paul has been experiencing persecution, attacks, 
at times threats on his life. I mean, and so what I would expect and probably what I would pray for if I'm in Paul's shoes is I would pray for safety, I would pray for rescue, I would pray for protection, I would pray to be relieved of all of the pain and suffering that I was going through. And it's not bad to pray for those things. Matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul does pray for himself in that kind of way. He prays about something he identifies as a thorn in his flesh, this terrible, uh, whatever kind of condition he has. And he prays for God to take it away. But over and over, God says no. Probably another good reminder as we think about prayer that sometimes God's answer to the prayers that we request is no. Because God's response was not just no, it was, no, I'm not gonna give you what you've asked for. My power is made perfect in your weakness. In other words, he's saying, depend on me completely and fully and wholly to be enough for you, even in the face of the trial and the hardship and the suffering. And so in this moment, Paul's not praying for his own relief. He's praying in verse 10 that we may see you again. It's his heart revealed. He's just, he's crying out to God. Hey, I've tried, I've tried to come and see you and I've been, I've been held back. We heard about that last week. And I just want to be with you to share life with you. And he said, I'm praying that God will, will answer this prayer so that I can be with you to supply what is lacking in your faith. He wants to supply what's lacking. You know, and you may be thinking, well, wait, didn't he just say he was encouraged because of their faith? Like, isn't that what was sustaining him? And the answer is yes. So he's not saying they have a deficit of faith as if like something went defective and is wrong with their faith. What he's saying is it's just incomplete. And what this reveals is is Paul's priority for them is that they would grow in maturity, that they would grow in depth, that they would grow to have their lives look more and more like Jesus. So even, did you get that? Even as Paul's praying for himself that he would be able to be with them, It was so that he could supply their needs. So it's kind of like he was still praying for them even as he's praying for himself. And as you think about the things that you pray for for yourself, and I start thinking about this, do do we really pray that our lives could be leveraged for the sake of others? Or are my prayers for myself really about my relief, wisdom, guidance, peace, my comfort, Or is it to pray that God would so use my life and give me opportunities that I could serve with love and with passion and that I could pour my life out on on behalf of others, even if it means going into the trial, into the persecution, and continuing to endure the hardship so that others would benefit? That's a selfless prayer, even as he's praying for himself. And he does move to then praying for others. He does pray for them that they would grow, right? That he would supply what's lacking in their faith and what's lacking is, a, is just the depth and the fullness that God wants to bring into all of our lives. We're all works in progress. And he's praying that ultimately, in verse 12, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. He's praying that this love that has been alive in them would become greater and greater. And it would become greater and greater between them because this church in Thessalonica was this young group of people 
probably a mix of classes, a mix of backgrounds, a mix of previous religions, a mix of races even, a mix of genders. It was this whole mix that outside of the church would have had no reason to be united with one another at all. And so Paul is praying that they would overflow in love for each other because in Jesus' church, all of those old divides are supposed to be irrelevant because we're united in love and the love that God has for each and every one of us in Jesus Christ. He's praying that they would increase in that because it's not natural, because it's not the way of the world. Oh, but it's, what else? He prayed that they would also love everyone else, which is also not natural, because that would have included all the people that are persecuting them, all the people that are putting pressure on them, all the people that are, are, are coming after them. And so he's praying that they would overflow and increase in this love that looks ultimately like the love of God that he has for us through Jesus Christ, because we were enemies of his we, were, we ultimately were turning our back on him. And yet while we were enemies, Paul tells us in Romans, while we were his enemies, Jesus died in our place. He's praying that they would grow in that kind of love. And do you pray for others like that? Do you pray that as your top priority? He prays also that, that they would be strengthened in their hearts in verse 13 so that they'll be blameless and holy in the presence of God and of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. He's growing, he's praying that they would grow so that they could stand firm in their faith in the face of persecution. In other words, he's not praying for it to be taken away, which is, again, what I would expect him to pray. And as Americans, what I think we tend to pray all the time. We are obsessed with, I am obsessed, let me put it that way, with comfort with security. I don't want life to be hard for me or for anybody else. And yet Paul doesn't pray for the persecution to be taken away. Instead, he prays that they would be strengthened in the faith so that they would be holy and blameless. In other words, so that they would courageously and boldly love as Jesus has loved and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ even when it's being rejected, even when they're being persecuted for it. A few years ago, I, I went to a presentation from a representative of an organization called Open Doors. And this, this organization, their mission is to support the persecuted church throughout the world. It's a mission that exists based on the reality that the followers of Jesus are being persecuted at, at the incredible rates all across the world. And so they're being, it's, it's illegal in many countries to be Christian, so they're being imprisoned. They're being beaten, they're being intimidated, they're being extorted, and way worse, murdered and taken captive, and, and it, it's awful. And we heard stories about what the church is going through across the world throughout this presentation, but that wasn't what, what really grabbed me. As awful as that was and heart-wrenching as that was, what really grabbed me was that we were encouraged to pray for these brothers and sisters who are being persecuted throughout the world. But it's not just that we were encouraged to pray, it was what we were encouraged to pray for. Because they asked, not, not prayers that would bring vengeance, vindication, liberation. Sure, we could pray for protection and for strength, but it was even more, they longed for us to pray even more that they would be faithful to the gospel so that when the, when they, when the enemies would come knocking, that they would stand up for Jesus, for his good news, when they would be taken to prison, when they would be beaten and brutalized, that they would have the courage and the faith to be faithful to Jesus Christ. That was their longing for us to pray for them. That was the priority. And man, 
is that how we pray? Do we pray to have that kind of courage in the face of persecution so that we can boldly proclaim the hope of Jesus Christ? Or is it about our comfort, our safety, and our security? The mirror is being held up. And what is it showing us? And the last thing I think we get in here that I want to just reflect on today is that as Paul is praying for others, I think he is being lifted out of the tendency that we have to give in to despair in the midst of our own situation. Remember, Paul is in his own persecution, in his own suffering, in his own distress, and yet he overflows with prayers for them. He remembers them. He's praying just as we were encouraged to pray that they would be strengthened with courage and boldness for the sake of Jesus Christ. He's praying that they would be able to, to grow in their love like Jesus. But as he prays for them, he lifts his eyes. And as we pray for others, we lift our eyes from ourselves, from our situation, from the clouds that seem to overwhelm us. And we start to to be lifted up to others. And in that, we get caught up in this bigger thing that God is doing rather than focusing on our own little world and our own little trial. I've had this experience over and over in my life where Maybe I was stuck and dry in my prayer. Maybe it was I was becoming consumed with the, the, the things that were happening to me. But when I could really finally focus and, and make myself open to God, but on behalf of others, man, those things seemed to find their place. No longer as overwhelming. No longer as consuming. And I, I remember being just so inspired by a woman that put this on display. There's a woman at the church that I was at in Pittsburgh, and I remember going to visit her in the ICU. I mean, and things were, were kind of rough for her. And so I, of course, as I went in, I tried to, to just ask how she doing, what, what's her journey been like, you know, and, and I would continue to, to ask these questions. But she, would, she quickly would, would turn the conversation. And she'd begin to ask me about this person in the church. And she'd begin to ask me about this other person in the church. And then I realized that sitting on her little table right next to her was the prayer list from the church that she had brought with her into the ICU so that she could hold up the others in prayer before God because they were going through trials and hardship as well. And so she was lifting her eyes from herself in a posture of openness, dependence on God because she was clearly not counting on her own strength in that moment dependent on God to move through her life and through the lives of the others in her life, that they would be strengthened, they would be encouraged. And what a beautiful thing. What's the mirror of prayer in your life show about your priorities? Where is your focus? Is it it an openness and a dependence on God to, to walk with him, talk with him day in, day out, moment by moment of every day? Is it a prayer overflowing that that others in your life would grow in the likeness of Jesus and in their love for him and their love for others? Is it a prayer that the church, we the people, would be bold and courageous to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ even in the suffering and the hardship? This is the invitation that Paul, as a prayer mirror, is giving to us to open our lives to the things that God wants to do. And as we do, it's a beautiful thing and we will be an encouragement to others in our life and maybe you need to write a letter and let somebody know you're praying for them like that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for this incredible hope that we have in Jesus Christ that while we were your enemies, you came and you loved us so much to the point of death on a cross to reconcile us to you. 
so that we could have courage and boldness and confidence that when we stand before you, we will be holy and blameless, not because of ourselves, but because of what you've done. May we grow in that kind of love that would love the other. May we be people that look more and more like Jesus. May we boldly proclaim the hope of Jesus Christ and may our prayer lives, may our connection with you be open more than it ever has been. Open to a connection, open to a relationship, open in our dependence that ultimately you would work in us and through us to bear fruit and fruit that will last, fruit that is beautiful, fruit that is rooted in the good news and the hope of Jesus Christ our Lord. It's in his name that we pray, amen. Thank you.